welcome to the latest episode of A Moment of Change, the podcast series brought to you by On Purpose. I'm Johnny Singh, I'm a current On Purpose associate, and today we're going to be talking about men's mental health. I'm delighted to be joined by two fantastic collaborators, Ed Short and Javan Pine. I'll let them introduce themselves in a second. But we are going to be talking about some pretty heavy topics today. We're going to be talking about war and loss and grief, the way that affects people in different communities and thinking about how we can support each other and how we can support people around us. I come to this with a couple of different hats on. I was a former Air Force pilot, and I served in Afghanistan during the war there. I also have been supporting local communities, working with mental health in North London, and seeing some of the issues that affect all types of people, but particularly looking at the way that men and boys are affected by issues around mental health. And with me, delighted to say another associate on my cohort, April 2022, Javan Pine. Javan, welcome to our lovely studio in North London. And can you just tell us a little bit about yourself and why this topic is so important to you? Thanks for the very warm welcome there, Johnny. I am a man of African-Caribbean descent, so I thought it would be a good idea to provide a different dimension in terms of insights from that side of the community within London. I am a South Londoner, a proud South Londoner and naturally vested in enhancement and development of members of my community, particularly young boys and and young men um, of African Caribbean descent and very aware of the challenges that they face. And so I, I try to contribute to the upliftment and empowerment of those individuals. Well, we're honoured you've crossed the river Come to rainy North <laughs> London today. And with us, our special guest, I guess, is Ed Short, is, amongst other things, mentor for On Purpose, as well as an accomplished entrepreneur and former soldier. Ed, welcome. Delighted to have you with us today. Maybe just start, why is this a topic that's so important for you personally? Yeah, thank you and a pleasure to be here. Thanks very much indeed for having me. So I've I've had my own experiences as everyone has, both as you mentioned as a soldier. I've served operationally in Iraq and Afghanistan and had some incredible experiences. I've left the military and tried to figure out what I wanted to do in the corporate world. So that point of transition that, you know, from the outside people would have said was, you know, pretty successful, landed in some really good roles and good good jobs. But actually there's that element that I struggled with that, that we can dig into and then also from a personal standpoint I've had some stuff happen that has has been really sad and has has driven a huge amount of grief and you know how I potentially failed to deal with it and then was brave enough to to actually reach out and ask for help because actually I was really struggling and my mental health was struggling as a result. And so one of the reasons that I'm here today and I'd love to sort of talk about is to try and destigmatize that element of, of mental health where it's not a man thing to talk about. I guess I also probably ought to ought to add that, you know, as a mentor for On Purpose as well, you know, you guys are going through immense amounts of change yourself. You're trying to figure out what is next. And I've been there as well. And so it's one of those things where actually I, I really understand the sort of mental health aspect of actually trying to reinvent yourself and, and think about what it is that you want to mm-hmm. do next. And I think that's, that's a really hard thing to do. So hopefully in the today's discussion, depending on where we, uh, on where we go and what we, what we talk about, we can, we can touch on some of those subjects. Brilliant. Yep. Great. Well, let's get into it. 
Ed, you were a former soldier, and again, that's a role that people look to as a point of stability and strength and resourcefulness. But, I mean, how did you find that experience of serving both here and overseas? How did that impact your, your mental health? And how do you think that we need to consider the specific strains on mental health that our forces veterans are under? Yeah, it's a great question, actually. And so for those you know listening who don't know much about the, the, the military, I, I was an officer. I went through Sandhurst and I spent a year learning how to be a leader. And one of the things that you really gets drummed into you most is always looking after your team. But the first thing you need to do is look after yourself so that your team get the best of you mm-hmm. and make sure your lads are all right, the girls and boys out there serving with you. And that's that's quite an interesting kind of challenge, I think because I never really thought about myself. And actually, from a mental health point of view, I don't think I ever really had any problems. I just, I kind of just got on with the job. One of the big things that people talk about is PTSD. Mm -hmm. You know, and actually having seen traumatic or been in traumatic situations, how do you deal with that? And I actually found that while serving away on operations, whether it was you know, in Iraq or Afghanistan, or even just training for operations where sadly, sometimes accidents happen and you see, you know, you see someone lost their life once. And you just think, crikey, what, how do I deal with that? Mm. And that was actually, for me, it was always looking out for other people rather than processing my own experience. And I kind of had this slightly objective view of what was going on. What do I need to do? How do I need to help and support the team? We used to have debriefs after a particular instance to make sure that people were sort of processing it. After tours, there would also be a little bit of a time taken to decompress, as it was known, where you could just sort of have that conversation. And then you'd always be checking in on your team as well. Mm -hmm. I didn't have what I'd describe as a negative mental health experience through service. And, and do you think that was because you had that support around you? You had those fellow soldiers who were going through similar experiences. You had that process of debriefing and recognising and looking out for each other. I wonder if you think that that was something that contributed to probably a, a more robust mental health. And then following up on that, like how did it feel when you left that environment? Did your mental health suffer as a result of losing that support structure? Yeah, and that's a great question. And I think it definitely did help knowing that there was a system, structure and people to go and talk to and people being, you know, your buddies around you, the padre, the chaplain, the doctor, the welfare officer, whoever it was that was just the right person. There was a system that you could you could use. I think the other thing that I found as well was that everyone else was in the same boat as me. And so I kind of looked left and right and, and thought, well, they're all right, so I'm all right, so that's okay. Which is part of the stigma that I think we need to break down, which is I don't know if they're all right mm. unless I ask the question. And I think sometimes we forget that actually asking the question, you know, it's it's quite a tough thing to do because you don't know, as I said right at the beginning, you don't know where this conversation's going to go and actually someone might really be struggling. So then... How do you how do you deal with that? So sometimes I, I don't think I asked the question because I was probably a little bit afraid of what I was going to get into. And I didn't ask the question of myself either. Upon reflection, do you think you would have been receptive had someone asked you that question? Would your response have been shrugging it off and I'm fine because you didn't yourself want to open a can of worms, potentially from an emotional perspective? Yeah. Um and I think maybe if I if I kind of give a bit of context before answering that, 
I was very fortunate not to lose any of my team on any of the patrols. So I, I didn't go through the same experience that a lot of people did. And, and this is Afghanistan, right? We're talking about? Or? And Iraq. And Iraq. And Iraq. In either, in either tour, I never had to deal with anyone losing a life on my tour where I'm, you know, operationally in charge of the team. Sure. And so I, I have to caveat that because other people haven't. They've had much more kind of visceral experiences and, and very different and so my experience has been a little bit like something happened, you have to react to it. And because you go through so much training with your team, like you, you, you kind of go into a bit of an automatic response of, right, what do I need to do next? Have we got the right support? Have we got the right resources? And off we're going. And you're, and you're kind of just making sure that everything is running smoothly around you. Probably don't know the same level of traumatic operational mm-hmm. stress. But what, what I have had, which I think is other people who you know have been in that situation, who are in the same bunkhouse as you, who actually have gone through some some tough times. And you're sitting there saying, well, actually, how can I help this person? What what does that look like? And how do I have that conversation? Because you can see the operational reports. Why? Because you're the next person out on patrol or whatever it might be. And you read the previous ones to make sure you know what has gone on. Mm. And that's a really difficult decision mm. to actually stand up and go actually i'm going to go and check on my mate and were you able to do that in that context or perhaps it just wasn't the done thing at the at the time yeah i think it's interesting because it's 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 easy with with hindsight to have a slightly different view in the moment i always asked how people were after their patrol how did it go and but i never probed yeah. i never asked the next question the follow-up question the one that is like are you really okay yeah are you struggling yeah. and that that i think is is the challenge it's a challenge to do on operations as well because the tempo is so high and you don't get that much rest time and so mm. you don't necessarily get that much time to talk about stuff and you don't get a huge amount of privacy to find the right moment to do it some of those themes then around having a shared community and a shared experience and also being exposed to some degree of trauma. That seems that, that that can resonate with lots of different communities. And and Jovan, I was just thinking, when you hear Ed talk about the kind of the traumas around losing that support network, does it, is that something that resonates with, with you and the work that you've been doing? I, I, would, I would say so. You know, we all have different personal experiences. So I'm not the spokesperson sure, for, all, sure. for all minoritized communities, but definitely have experience in terms of the the African and Caribbean communities Mm -hmm. in London specifically. And I I would say that there are definitely various social determinants of health. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as immigrants to this country, learning how to assimilate into the workforce, culture, various systems, etc, etc, can be quite quite daunting, particularly for men from from those communities, Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm of the kind of vulnerabilities of not knowing how to to navigate certain things as well as the desire to want to provide yeah yeah and it comes back again to something we started with this this idea of having the language to talk about the way we feel the way that we situate ourselves within our communities a lack of a language yes i also think that a lot of immigrant communities are literally just trying to get through each day Mm -hmm. and so the quote-unquote luxury of actually sitting back and reflecting upon their mental health mm. particularly men isn't isn't something that they, they they're particularly 
gifted with want of a better word but yeah i think a commonality in terms of language safe spaces to open up and discuss and and not be negatively judged and this is all with the backdrop of you know things like discrimination racism mm. etc etc and, and you know you thinking that okay the, the play that the playing field isn't necessarily level yeah and so the more vulnerable you make yourself is is potentially the more at mercy you are to certain systems that you don't necessarily mm. think are, are fair and just in the first place why do you think it's harder for a man than it would be for a for a woman because presumably women still have the same issues around identity and moving perhaps to a different culture issues around racism and and poverty that why why do you think in your experience that men struggle to express this or or struggle with this perhaps in a different way i definitely think there's a a, a cultural overlay not trying to generalize in terms of different cultures but generally speaking i think it's not something that young boys are taught to do or if there are signs of this it's somewhat shunned so i think trying to undo some of the generational traits that are passed down is a good way forward and i think as well like in terms of things like george floyd black, black lives matter movement and a lot of the kind of protests around that the injustices that have taken place particularly in the west have helped kind of open the door for more discussions around mental health particularly for men from minoritized communities so mm-hmm. I, I do think steps are being made forward to to create more avenues for these types of discussions but there is still a long way to go. I wonder, Javan, I also grew up in a military family. I went away to school. My father was away in various various different places. And you feel the impact of family separation, of mm. being away. And so I wonder whether within minority communities that the sense of being away and different from you know a source of family is is something that is also quite quite prevalent certainly as as an immigrant coming into a new place coming into somewhere where yes you have a couple of family but maybe quite a lot of your family is still back wherever it is that that your heritage comes from so i i think there might be something in that Mm. absolutely I, i i would agree and i would also say that i guess you know this whole sense of belonging and family kind of scaled up or scaled out a bit within the workplace, within your community, within, mm. you know, the, the, the schooling system, the education system, if you are perceived as other and, and, and that acceptance or that willingness to want to understand and, and welcome you into the, the new environment that you're in isn't, isn't as forthcoming, that can also play a part in how you view your current life and the decisions that you've you've made or the sacrifices that you may have made to maybe move from one country to another Mm. and and having second thoughts about that and potentially subjecting your family to, you know, certain interactions or experiences that you you wouldn't want them to to be exposed to. And it's an interesting one, actually. They say it takes a, a village to raise a family, right? And actually, if you are separated from your sources of support, that can really impact your mental health. Mm. And the example that immediately just sort of sprung to mind for me there as you were talking was that actually when you leave the military, that point of transition, you're leaving effectively your family, your military family, that source of support. And so I think quite a lot of people feel quite isolated, even though they look around and see people very much like them wherever they are. But it's like they're not actually like me because they haven't 
done what I've done. They haven't experienced what I've experienced. And in the military, that's a very strong source of common ground. Yeah. Right? Everyone goes through the same same similar training or the similar experiences. Yeah, it's shared hardship and exactly. shared experiences that brings people together, right? Yeah, and actually that's a real challenge because... I'm also part of another group of people that no one really wants to talk about, which is dads who mm. have lost their children. And this is quite difficult, but it has created a, a positive experience for me, although it was very difficult to deal with, is that I lost my son. So he died stillborn full term. And, you know, as a, an expectant father, first time through, super excited, you know, what do you do? And I kind of went into almost that military mindset of what do I do to support my wife? She's the one. She's important. She's the one who's just had this Mm. horrendous thing happen. How do I support? And I read every leaflet under the sun. There were some really fantastic charities that produce information about kind of what you're going through. And that gave me context. But did I genuinely sit down and say, I'm really struggling with no one cares about me. They all care about my wife. Why do you think that was? I didn't want to be the weak one. I didn't want to be the one asking for help. I wanted to be the person who was there supporting and making sure that my wife was okay. I don't think I truly admitted how much it impacted me. I kind of, I don't know, I just did this kind of like, deal with it, it's that's really, really sad thing. I'm going to bottle it up, put it down somewhere inside, and I'm just going to crack on. My, My manager at the time was an absolute legend, and he said, look, you can have all the time in the world just you know do what you need to do we're here to support you you can come back to work when you want i, I think i went back to work kind of like six weeks later mm. and he was like are you sure like this is super soon and 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 i went in not in a transition way i was offered it <laughs> but i kind of went in full guns blazing, just like i just get back to work mm. use it as a distraction yeah. mm. and i think the problem for me was that it's busy and I could make myself busy Mm. and I use that as a distraction to never really deal with it and just to sort of bury it and just ignore it and and move on past it and and then that becomes a problem when and we're very blessed now that we do have two other boys and so when my wife was pregnant with our our eldest Rory how do you now deal with that Mm. like you can't be this miserable git you know, because you're bringing a child into the world. And and so, and then how do you deal with all of the anxiety of going through pregnancy, going, gosh, what happens if it happens again? It strikes me from what you're saying, part of the the issue that we have as men is is this reluctance to be vulnerable. I wonder in that, again, that, that horrendous and extreme grief that you were going through as a, as a partnership, were you, were you able to be vulnerable with your wife were you able to be vulnerable with with other people siblings or family members or or close friends and how how did you kind of get yourself through that period yeah and and i think that's one of the really positive things that came out of the experience is that it created a much stronger bond between me and my wife i was much more honest and vulnerable about how i was the problem with that though is that she's sitting there thinking gosh are you struggling more than me Mm. and so if she's picking me up is she looking after herself so i i was but to a point because i didn't want to burden her with even more Mm. and so i did try counseling sometime after it and the more i've now talked about this with people lots of other people have found this as well there's a huge difference between grief counseling and baby loss counseling so Mm. for anyone that might experience this god forbid like baby loss counseling is totally different and you need to talk to people i found that talking to people who've been through it before and have got that shared experience almost to the point you made earlier about shared hardship like that was vital and so i reached out to a brilliant charity called sans 
and they have something called sans frienders who who are people who have been through the same thing and are happy or befrienders maybe who are happy to talk to you on the telephone and i remember one day sitting on the kitchen floor just talking on the telephone and i think that was that was the first time excuse me that was the uh, that was the first time that that i realized it was going to be okay that i was going to get through it that that i could figure out a way to live without this defining who I was. Because I think that's the challenge, is that you can sometimes let these things define you. So that was when I think I was much more able to be supportive for Verity, for for her needs, and try and actually deal with mine, and also talk to my team and say, actually, do you know what? Some days I'm just not going to be up for it. I didn't want to go into work. I didn't want to go and see people. I didn't want to to just get on with the normality. But I thought, I have to do this because I don't want to deal with this. And sometimes I never made it there. I sort of walk and then turn around and go home and just be like, oh, I'm really sorry, I'm working from home. Mm. <laughs> and this was this was like eight, nine years ago, so before the whole kind of COVID working from home thing. But w- once I'd had this moment and I realised it was going to be okay, it became more about talking to my team and saying, look, actually, this is how I'm experiencing it. This is This is what I'm going through. This is what I need at work. To then talking to my family and my friends. And so I became a little bit better at talking. Not good. Just better. Yeah, I mean, that's powerful f- to, to sit here and, and have you share that with us, Ed. So f- firstly, thank you so much. Because I think just hearing that and hearing the emotion that that still brings up, I mean, I think that it shows the long-lasting effects that something like that will have, but also the the strength that comes with that period of vulnerability the strength that that gave you ultimately and i'm just wondering you know that experience around the loss of your baby do you think that and the way that perhaps that you approach that just linking back to your your time in the military did that help you reflect on your experiences in the military it was that somehow a, a more a wider emotional watershed that helped you think about mental health in a different way in general there are probably two things the first thing is that i didn't have the tools all the techniques to deal with this in a way that within the military at least I had a starting place and and there were systems and processes and so I think it is really important that if something happens you do ask for help and tools and techniques just to sort of get you through on a day-to-day basis. The second positive thing that sort of came out of it is that I realized that I had a real purpose in the military. You know, I enjoyed what I was doing and having the privilege of leadership and going out and operating all these amazing places and and being able to live a life that was really, really interesting. And I'd, I'd lost that when I left. And that was a watershed moment for me to say, actually, all of the stuff that I'd had from my military career was amazing. I need to refine that. I need to find that sense of purpose, that that thing that really drives me, that I'm passionate about. And I ask myself those questions around, actually, what do I enjoy doing? And that's where, you know, my my career then took a a bit of a pivot again into technology and psychology and leadership development. And I joined a small startup and we were trying to build leadership development programs to help people be at their best every day to flourish in the workplace using the, the latest of psychology. A little bit of that was sort of me absolutely loving the kind of psychology of actually how can you be at your best knowing that I wasn't at my best and trying to be at my best and Mm. thinking about how to do that and a bit of it was me trying to help other people and I realized that part of 
my role as a leader within the military was helping bring out the best in other people. Sometimes I was good at it, sometimes I wasn't, you know, clearly. But actually that gave me a sense of purpose. And so I used a lot of what I learned through my experiences in the military to talk to other people around how could they bring out the best in their teams? What could they do to help their businesses operate really effectively? And I think that that driver that wouldn't have happened unless I'd had this really sad experience that made me, that forced me to take a step back and go like, what are you doing? Giovanna, I was also just thinking as, as Ed's talking there about the ability to be vulnerable, the ability to kind of take stock and use emotions and tapping into emotions, which I think in general as men we struggle with. I mean, I certainly struggle with and... I just wonder, again, in some of the work that you do, whether you see that sort of reluctance to show vulnerability or weakness. And if so, how, how do you think that without reaching a crisis point, is there a way that we can educate men and particularly young men about being able to be vulnerable, being able to be open with their emotions in a, in a positive and constructive way? I think it's a tricky one because there's this conflict between traditionalists, if you will, in terms of what it is to be a man, irrespective of race or ethnicity, versus the emerging research concerning, you know, mental health and the inequalities around mental health, how it's treated, how it's diagnosed for members of racially minoritized communities. It's a tricky one. I think the younger generations are a lot more susceptible to opening up and when I say younger generations, I'm saying maybe the ages of around 12 to mid to late teens. They're a lot more susceptible to sharing their thoughts and feelings when they feel like there isn't judgment mm. there, mm -hmm. particularly from individuals from within their own communities mm. as well, because that's another layer of complexity. Because if you think that some of these individuals maybe go throughout their whole kind of schooling, being taught by individuals that don't necessarily look like them or come from their communities, being vulnerable to those types of individuals can be quite daunting. Yeah. So so I think sharing my own experiences, either, you know, indirectly or directly with them definitely helps them feel like there isn't really a need to have this barrier up. Some are more resistant than others because some of the trauma is a lot more deep rooted and mm. it takes time that that healing process and that healing journey but i definitely think that you know our communal spaces which typically are like the barber shops mm -hmm. or the pub we don't typically have too many spaces where our undivided attention is dedicated to having like deep meaningful conversations yeah. and to each other right and to each other yeah and i think that's super interesting the, the the idea of this safe space you know it's bandied around sometimes it's seen as somehow this woke you know trendy thing but actually it's so important to have that space where people can be themselves and be amongst like-minded people and actually the military provided that or sports clubs provide that yeah and i think going back to the point ed raised a while ago around probing because you know being on the sports field or you know in a changing rooms you might ask a question because someone's performance might have been a bit off but very seldom do you actually probe again because you're not sure how to go about the aftermath of you probing and and maybe because you yourself are going through issues and 
And so, you know, you kind of just want to bury your head in the sand. But equally, you want to go away from that scenario saying to yourself that, you know, at least you you asked or there was some kind of like tick box exercise, right? Where yeah. you kind of appease your own kind of conscience in, in that regard. So Yeah, and maybe I'd, I'd come to you on this, but I think that's really, again, a really important point, Javan, of like, if we acknowledge that we should be asking, not just men, but people in our lives, like, how are you? And really checking in with someone. What do we, what do we do when they come back and say, actually, look, I'm not feeling okay? And I wonder, Ed, thinking about your own experiences at that time when you were really struggling, if a good friend had come back and said, look, no, really, Ed, are you okay? Is there something you think that you would want someone to do or some guidance that you could offer to people as to how to react? Is it a case of just simply being there and listening? Is it a case of just taking the time to kind of share the other person's feelings? I mean, in your experience, what was it that helped you start working towards a kind of improved mental health outlook i yeah i i remember a specific day i was really struggling so sorry just to sort of just to go back a step in that as a result of you know losing our son um i've always had to try and be very aware of my mental health because actually i did go into what was diagnosed as deep clinical depression i had a period of a couple of years trying to sort that out while trying to you know maintain a hectic work life and all the rest of it and in one of those slightly more trying times and covid was a real challenge you know being locked up on your own being more isolated and and all that kind of stuff and i just i do remember that i had one of these sort of reflective moments where i was just like oh god i'm going backwards i'm not going forwards and you know it was all just everything was getting far too much for me and i went for a walk and i was i was really struggling like really struggling I wouldn't say you know suicidal thoughts at at that point or anything like that but I was sitting there thinking oh my god what am I doing this is ridiculous and I remember sitting down on a bench and this thought this idea came into my head and I just remembered this individual she's an old friend very old friend and I just I knew her background she'd studied psychology and she had lived experience of depression and was working in that and I just I phoned her up and said I'm at my wits end what do I do um, and she asked me, and it was incredible because I just remember how emotional I was, but she was just very direct, very empathetic, but asked me if I was going to try and kill myself. And I was like, no, no, no I'm not that. And, and she went through these sort of stages of just trying to understand what the what the challenge was. And then trying to suggest what I could do to try and help myself, whether it's go to the doctor whether it was go and speak to a counsellor, whether it was to tell my wife that actually I was really low. And and so what, why do I say all this is that, that I had made that decision to reach out to somebody. And if someone does that, there's an element of that which is, you know, they're giving you permission to, to ask those mm. difficult questions. Mm-hmm. And I found that really, really helpful. And we continued to then talk relatively frequently as I was then on a much better trajectory which was fantastic but but if you are that person that gets the phone call how should you be and I think that's a that's really difficult for me personally listening is it's hard to do sometimes because especially living in a fast-paced kind of environment that we live in we just want to try and problem solve right but Mm. but actually listening like the silence and allowing somebody to actually 
go through their thoughts fully rather than interrupting them or maybe trying to finish their sentence or what you think they're about to say. For me, I, I really try my best in situations like that to to just really listen and then from there, when I feel like they've come to a natural stop, try and ask some more questions to, to try and decipher how severe the situation is. And then I think, lastly, for me, it's about trying to reassure the person that I'm talking to, because in a lot of cases, that individual might feel like there literally is no way out or no, no hope, no light at the end of the tunnel. I think for me, it's about trying to provide that reassurance and that I'm actually here to try and support you through that journey and there's no judgment from me on that and you know if you want to shout if you want to cry there's no judgment and you know what we discuss stays with us as well I think there's also particularly with like younger people there's this fear that things that are shared are gonna somehow end up going viral mm. or being spread and mm. the reputation is now in jeopardy and things of that nature i think that's absolutely spot on Joanne, which is you know that listening that silence being able to hold that silence and not interject your own thoughts and and let someone know that you are just fully listening is so important and then that reassurance at the end to say right i'm here whatever mm. you need i'm here and i think some people don't know what that means when they're signing up to say, oh, I'm here, right? It might just be a phone call or it might, but but that's okay. I think just making sure someone feels supported and that there will be um, a way forward is absolutely critical. That And I like that expression you use, the light at the end of the tunnel. You know, it's a hard journey to get back, but, you know, you need to you need to make sure that there is that point of light. Mm. Yeah, I mean, that that's, it's amazing to hear the, the way that both of you frame that and and i think really useful and important for people listening to think about how they support people in their own lives and javan you mentioned that you see a lot of hope in the young people that you work with how do you think that all of us we can help support young men in our lives or the people that we work with or people in our communities to be more emotionally aware and to take better care of their mental health i think local community-based organizations need greater support you know in terms of funding and initiatives so that they can kind of tailor their approaches to the communities they serve so that's one thing because although I've been speaking a lot about young people there are older members of the community that also feel somewhat disenfranchised and Mm. neglected and suffer from issues like loneliness and and can be triggers for mental health as well. I definitely want to leave this discussion kind of acknowledging the fact that mental health concerns and issues span across all ages. I think when it comes to, I guess, clinical diagnosis, there has to be a tailoring approach to different members of communities. Mm -hmm. Like a one-size-doesn't-fit-all approach, we need to make that front and centre that that's not going to wash in the long run. And and we've seen the ramifications of trying to take a blanket approach where that's concerned. Certain members of the community, racialised, minoritised communities, have been arguably misdiagnosed or their experience with treatment has been heavy-handed and that can further perpetuate a lack of willingness to come forward so that doesn't really sound that positive but I think what I'm trying to say is there's been enough research out there to take heed of some of the likely effective 
solutions and, and we should kind of be proactive in trying to work with the data and not against it. Maybe kind of just as we draw to, to a close, Ed, you've got two young boys who are going to grow up to be men. Uh, how do you reflect on that as a father and thinking specifically about how you can prepare them to have an awareness of their own mental health and support each other and, and themselves to have good mental health? Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I don't know, I'm making this up as I go along, right, in terms of like being a father, like I think most, most people are. Yeah. So <laughs> there's no manual. Ed. There's no, no, no manual. I was going to say, and I don't want someone sitting there go, yeah, no, that's absolutely bollocks what you're talking and, about. And so, if, I mean, it probably is. If but. there was a manual, we wouldn't follow it. <laughs> <laughs> no, exactly. But, but I think I, I can just talk about what I'm trying to do. So the first is that I'm trying to acknowledge and be present with those sad experiences so we talk about barnaby in the family i mean it still makes me sad it will always make me sad and that's part of something that i'm trying to show my boys which is it's okay to be sad sad is a normal human emotion grief Mm. is a normal human emotion having a couple of days where you're you know you're, you're really down about stuff is normal yeah and it's okay protracted periods of grief the bits where it's like well okay if that's if that's the case what do you need to do to get help so that that's the first thing the second i think that i'm trying to do is i'm trying to be a i don't want this to sound sexist it's like but i'm I'm trying to be much more i'm trying to copy my wife a little bit in terms Mm -hmm. of how she is emotionally with the children Mm -hmm. gentle compassionate things that don't come naturally to me. And for anyone who knows me as a person, I'll probably sit there giggle at the moment being like, yeah, you're pretty hard, pretty blunt and direct. And also I'm, I'm trying not to be, I'm trying to be much more understanding, much more listening. I'm a problem solver. I like just like, if you give me a problem, I'll be like, Oh, what about this and this and, and not do that and do exactly what you said, Javan, which is just listen mm. and just understand mm. and understand what they're going through, what they're feeling and how they're going to deal with it. And you mentioned another word, which I think is absolutely critical, is judgment. Do not judge. Like, how can I, in the language that I use with my children, not impart judgment of whether I think something's good or bad, happy or sad or whatever, when, when they're dealing with this, just to just to be present and to listen and to let them go through things? Yeah, it's powerful. It is. My reflection is that it doesn't matter what the drivers are of your mental health whether it's PTSD you suffer from because of an incident on operational tour or whether it's that really difficult transition point that when you're leaving the military you don't know how to adapt to the new environment, you lose your sense of identity, you lose your community. Or if, like me, actually it was a personal driver where you lose someone very dear to you. It doesn't matter how that starts the real point i think especially for the veteran community who are perceived as strong and brave and self-sufficient is you've got to make that first step to ask for help Mm -hmm. so you've got to find someone to talk to you've got to find a space in which you feel comfortable talking to them and i think the quid pro quo of that is that you as an individual someone who's in in the sort of friendship circle, the social circle or the professional circle of someone that you see struggling, you need to think about how can you ask that question to say, are you really okay? How can you do it in a in a safe space? Is it over a beer down the pub? Is it while you're recovering from a particularly hard run, you know, warming down or after a hard game of sport or, or whatever? 
So, you know, those two things, I think, are absolutely critical, especially from my perspective when dealing with veterans, is that it's hard to ask for help. And then I think it's also hard for other people to say, do you need help? Ed, Javan, that's been a fascinating, enlightening and powerful conversation we've had today. And I really, really want to thank you both for your openness, your vulnerability we've talked about, and your advice for for us as individuals for us as supporters people who who care for others as this community does and also like really challenged us to think about how we can continue to provide support for the people in our lives thank you for listening to a moment of change a podcast brought to you by on purpose london thank you to ed and javan for their openness their insights and their vulnerability And thank you to our editors, Louisa Hungate and Johnny Spencer, who've worked so hard to put the show together. We realised that there were some heavy topics in our discussion. So if you or anyone you know have been affected by the issues that we've discussed, please do try and talk to someone who can help. There are loads of great resources out there, including SANS that Ed mentioned, who support families who have lost a baby, and Black Minds Matter that Javan supports in their work connecting black people with tailored mental health services. Please do also connect with us at On Purpose to learn more about the fantastic work our associates and our placement hosts are doing across the social and environmental impact sectors. You can find us at onpurpose.org as well as on all your favourite social media channels. So goodbye from me, Johnny Singh, and we look forward to having you back with us for a future episode.